Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, March 2nd, 2018. No theme today. That's how it works. On Fridays now, man. And sometimes I feel like some of the segments I'm going to do on the podcast are should go on the dumpster fire. It's oh. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy things being said out there. And we do the comparing work. We open up our Bibles and compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over it again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching, that is coming from many of these stages, you can't even call them pulpits anymore, um, and places like that, it's like not even close to what God's Word says at all. It's like people are just making stuff up. And as a result of it, there's a lot of deception going on. And so... We try to cover the spectrum here, although it seems like yeah, lately we've uh, we've really been kind of zeroing in on many of the abuses and false doctrine and teaching within the charismatic NAR movements. We do also cover the emergent church. We cover the seeker-driven movement, kind of evangelicalism as a whole. And uh, but we recognize that there are many different uh, you know streams that kind of make up evangelicalism nowadays. All right, so no theme today. Uh, that's becoming the uh, almost a hard and fast rule for Fridays as we are back to a normal broadcast schedule for our Friday uh, segments. And uh, that being the case, it, this is kind of, you know, the uh, this is stuff that uh, didn't quite fit the themes from earlier in the week and things like that. And uh, like I said at the beginning of the program, man, I, I now that we are you know in full swing with the dumpster fire, it's uh it's sometimes something rides the line. It's like does this go in dumpster fire or does this go in the uh, 
in the in the normal uh, podcast segment. It, it's becoming a little bit of a coin toss at times. So, but we're listen. I, all I can say is we are nowhere near running out of material to to work with, and that's kind of the unfortunate um, thing is that it's um, there's such a plethora of false teaching out there that uh, my career at this point is uh, well pretty secure. Um, is the best way I could put it. So let's talk about what we're going to do on this installment of Fighting for the Faith, uh, being that it's going to be all over the map. Uh, we're going to start off at Change Point Church, and we're going to listen to one of the female pastrixes uh, from her sermon titled Accelerate 1-8. And uh, this is from this past Sunday. So, I mean, this is really, uh, you know, a fresh, <laughs> if you would, uh, sermon that we're going to be listening to, but we're going to note that um, rather than opting to go with a op- uh, with an open Bible and a biblical text, uh, this woman's going to be preaching a direct revelation that apparently God had given to her and the people there at Change Point Church. Then we're going to switch it up. We'll do a, a purpose driven uh, church update. We're going to head up to Church of the Rock up there in uh, in Can- Canada. That's where the Canadians are from. As we listen to Mark Hughes, and if you're thinking, Mark Hughes, why does that name sound familiar? The name sounds familiar because every Easter this guy puts on some strangely themed, you know, uh, Easter show extravaganza. He's done Star Trek in the past, Star Wars, and and all of this other stuff. Uh, but we're going to be listening to part three, the opening portion of part three of his Home Improvement Sermon from the Home Improvement Sermon Series. And, uh, oh boy, you know, it, it's all part of Family Month there at uh, Church of the Rock. And note how apparently, and no no, it, no joke, he's going to come out as Tim the Tool Man Taylor and, you know, do all of the... <clears throat> the uh the shenanigans that Tim the Toolman Taylor did in his uh in his career then we're going to switch it up uh we're going to uh I I'm not even sure what to put this under we're uh, we're going to check in with uh, Adalis Shuttlesworth and uh, they've recently come into possession of higher quality camera equipment uh over there at uh at uh, Revival today and uh, she's going to be waxing eloquent, if you would, about, um, well, divine health and prosperity and things like this. And uh, then we'll do a money-grubbing televangelist update with Paula White and her version of the, the, the battle. The in- intensity of the battle is indicative of the blessing that is apparently coming your way. And then to round out hour number one, we'll be hearing from Perry Stone and uh, a recent episode of Manifest where he claimed that Israel and Jerusalem are the keys to prosperity. Yeah, I know. I don't even know what to make of that. So uh, then in hour number two, we're going to head back to Calvary Lutheran Church in uh, Elgin, Illinois, I believe, as we listen to Pastor Mark Bestuhl. And uh, we're listening to two of his sermons uh, one of them is titled The Penitent's Substitute from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15, and At Christ's Expense, which is from the Gospel of Mark chapter 8, uh, verses 27 through 38. Those will be two good sermons to uh, end the week off. So 
That will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We've got a lot of ground to cover. So uh, since we're technically going to begin in Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate, let's do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there. When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bola ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bola ball, a penny a pitch. Singing roly bola ball, a penny a pitch. Roly bola ball, roly bola ball, singing roly bola ball, a penny a pitch. Yeah, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts so uh, we're heading over to change point church and i gotta tell you i don't know the name of this pastrix we'll have to f- see if we can figure it out along the way it's not listed on the description of this particular youtube video but um the name of the series is accelerate one eight and uh, let's see if we can note what goes wrong with this sermon pretty much immediately is the best way i can describe it uh, as she accelerates into false teaching. Here we go. Is your motor running? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wasn't that great? Now, some of you that are um, fairly... The, the thing she was referring to was the opening intro video for the sermon. The change point, you're going like, what has that got to do? Where am I at? What am I doing here? Uh, just relax. We do that. We have, yeah, just relax as we press in, put on your seatbelt, and then we're going to accelerate because our theme this year is accelerate in 1 8. So, yeah, that's our theme this year there at Change Point Church. Accelerate in 1 8. Um, yeah, so you know that, uh, you know, at Churches that are supposed to be Christian, the job of a pastor is to preach the Word, the whole counsel of the Word of God. And uh, you don't get individual themes for particular years. Yeah, you got to teach all of the full counsel of God's Word. And if you can find a way to kind of work that in in a year, that's probably a good idea. Exciting. So every year we have a theme that uh, we run on and begin our year, and it becomes a very significant part of what God says to us. And uh, so we're excited that finally, here we are, the 25th of February. It seems a very long time to come out with a theme for this year. Oh, they, they, they just got this. Man, I mean, they were really slow in the downloading of the theme for this year from God, apparently. So <laughs> better late than never. You know, glad you guys got this in right at the very, very end of February. And I question that many times throughout this journey of uh, why haven't we said what our theme is. But in actuality, if you were here on December 31st, Pastor David spoke a message and he said talked about acceleration in that message. And so this is what he said. I believe the Lord is saying that he is going to... Mm -hmm. So note, she's now reading out a direct revelation that apparently their head pastor received at the beginning of the year. 
Um, and here's the weird thing. This direct revelation is on a piece of paper that she's slipped into her Bible. It literally looks like she's reading out from the Bible, but she's not. She's reading a so-called direct revelation that their head pastor received from the Lord. Accelerate things in a variety of ways. I believe that God wants to raise anticipation levels in his people. And uh, mm, God wants to raise anticipation levels. <laughs> Why? What good does an, a heightened anticipation level produce as far as Christian discipleship? I'm sitting on the front row just like you hearing his message for the first time. And I'm going like, well, that's what God spoke to me about. So um, that's exciting. So that's pretty good when your pastors are on the same page. Wouldn't you agree? And uh, so I'm going like, well, you've just let the cat out of the bag and you've stolen my thunder, but not really. And um, so as we went on, I thought, oh, that's so exciting, but that's not quite the right word. And so it's not acceleration. It's accelerate in one eight. Because it's got a rhyme. Yeah, we try to make it rhyme anyway. And uh, so he spoke that out on the 31st of December. And then we began to hear um, God speak from other sources, from other places. Yeah, not the written word of God, but apparently God was speaking all over the place. Uh huh. Different ones. So I'm just going to lay out a few of those today, and there's many more. So on January 14th, our former pastor from America, Dr. Michael Maiden, said this, This is a year of divine acceleration for God's people. God's about to give you... Michael Maiden, who is Patricia King's pastor, apparently said this. Much more in every area of your life. Now, when I read that on his Facebook page, I'm going like, David, have you talked to him? And he goes, no, I haven't. And so it's like, yeah. So here's Dr. Maiden saying the same thing, accelerating. Then on the 18th of February, Chuck Pierce. Anybody heard of Chuck Pierce? Yes. And we've noted that the previous prophecies we've covered by Chuck Pierce have been unintelligible. Mm -hmm. The the Holy Spirit that he listens to um, has had his brains scrambled and is incapable of lucid communication. He said this, you've been in a race and you've needed to take a pit stop, but now when you re-enter, you'll be accelerating at a pace you've never accelerated at before. You thought you'd be going one way. Apparently, they're accelerating in uh, audio feedback loops here. Andrew, what are you doing to me? (laughs) That's interesting, John. Andrew, what's happening? Turn it off. Thank you. When in doubt, unplug it. It's our television is having a interference or something. Something's interfering. Anyway, the Lord's not interfering. Let's get back to what he's saying. No, actually, uh, nothing that you've said thus far is actually from the Lord. All of the people you've mentioned are noted false teachers and false prophets. So then Chuck Pierce said, you thought you'd be going one way, but God says, I have a different road signs for you. 
You'll begin to interpret what will propel you further and down the path that I have for you. Don't kick against the pricks. Don't keep going in the way you thought you would go, for your way is changing. Now, I think that's pretty exciting. I think it's total gibberish. Lana Verser, I just uh, got this uh, the day before, uh, February 22nd. So a significant shift, and she was talking about um, two years ago, um, before uh, Dr. Billy Graham passed away, she began to get these um, prophetic words that when he passes away, certain things are going to come forth. And so once he did pass away, then she was released to give the prophetic message. So this is just a tiny excerpt of pages of a prophetic word, but it's this. A significant shift, a time of greater increase of the mantle of evangelism being released onto the earth. To see a great harvest, a a harvest that would come from every direction. The bountiful harvest. So apparently uh, another so-called prophecy regarding the death of uh, Dr. Billy Graham. And uh, this one is related to the uh, NAR belief of the billion souls harvest, the Joshua generation, and all that kind of nonsense. That time is now upon us, a new era. The changing of the guards, a double portion released upon the earth. Much is going to be released by the hand of the Lord for this moment on. We have been in a seasoning of awakening, acceleration, And seeing the Lord move. But the shift has begun to now see the glory of God cover the earth in a tangible, increased ways. So what she was talking about is that since um, Billy Graham passed away this week, it was going to release a double portion of evangelism. So it's not like we all seek after his gift. It was going to be released through the body of Christ that we'll see a measurable increase in acceleration of um, the mantle of evangelism and signs and wonders and gifts and healing. Pastor Mike Maiden again on the same day, the 22nd of February, said this, The death today of Billy Graham, perhaps the most successful and influential minister of the gospel in American history, I believe prophetically signifies the beginning of a long-awaited for and a massive move of God in our country and all over the earth. Moses is dead was simply not the announcement of the end of something. It was the signal of the beginning of something very important. It was a prophetic trigger event which unleashed the purpose and the power of God to a new generation that God was inviting to empower to go further and for the generations to come. God was determining to make the Joshua generation into into their promised land. We are that generation. Get ready. Yeah, we are. We're that Joshua generation. The billion souls harvest is just around the corner. Double evangelism, blessing mantle thingy has just fallen. And I'm going to note, um, that's the opening of the sermon at Change Point. And the woman, whoever she is speaking, is claiming that th- th- this is these are all, this is the word of the Lord for right now. And she's put all this stuff inside of her Bible to make it look like it's actually, you know, biblical. It's that's the word of the Lord. But she's not reading a single text that's from Scripture. And none of the people there have actually heard anything that God has really actually said or revealed. Very, very dangerous stuff. So they've totally exchanged the word of God for false words claiming to have come from God. 
Yeah. If you know anybody that goes to Change Point, they need to run. Run is the best way I could put it. Moving along. I don't know how I know, but I'm going to find my purpose. I don't know where I'm going to look, but I'm going to find my purpose. Got to find out. Don't want to wait. Got to make sure that my life will be great. Got to find my purpose before it's too late. All right, that's right. It's time for a purpose-driven update, and we're heading out to Church of the Rock out there in uh, Winnipeg, Canada. Canada is where the Canadians are from, and uh, they have been in the middle of, well, family month. And uh, and so family month means home improvement, and home improvement means pulling out, you know, some kind of cultural reference that everybody can relate to. You know, by turning the stage into uh, the home improvements uh, set and having the pastor dress up like Tim the Tool Man. Taylor, wish I was making that up. I'm not. Here's Mark Hughes. Time it is. That's right. It's tool time. And I am Tim the Tool Man Taylor. And welcome to the show. It- uh-huh. Yeah. Um. <laughs> You ever know what time it is? It's still time. Whoa! I, I used to like that program. Now I, I'm not liking it so much. Yeah, uh, the, this is just mind-bogglingly bad. Week, what I do is I reach into my tool belt and I pull out another tool that will help you build a great family. So week one, we looked at... The- so apparently the Bible's all about helping you build a great family. Oh, boy. In for an 8200 laser level. And I told you, if you're going to build a strong family, you need to start with a strong foundation. Then last week, we looked at the Binford 3800 Power Grip Glue. And I told you the glue in the family was? Love. Love. And it's unconditional love. And that's what holds us together because love never fails. Well, each week, what I'm going to do, and this week in particular, I'm going to give you some principles uh, that are particularly geared towards parenting. See if parenting principles. Who knew that the Bible was just chock full of parenting principles? I mean, how relevant? I mean, young families oftentimes have young kids, and young kids are a handful. And uh, boy, I could use some Bible principles to help me uh, get those, you know, those young kids to behave better and stuff. And Say yes, sir, and do their chores without back talking and sassing and stuff. You have a job to do, and you want to do it well, and you want to do it fast. What do you need? More power. Darn right, more power. Thank you for coming. <laughs> at least one of you got that right. And uh, what we're going to be looking at this week is the Binford Power Lock Tape Measure. Boom, baby. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. Um, you ever have a, a moment when you felt like you would feel better if you went outside and found a brick wall and started beating your head against it? Yeah, I was having a, a feeling like that just there. And uh, it thankfully it passed. 
Well, let me ask you a little question here. What do you do with a tape measure? Measure stuff. Yeah, I, that's what I do with my tape measure. I measure things. You measure things. That is the right answer. It becomes the standard for which everything else is measured. How many of you are glad that the person who built your house, and it probably wasn't you, but it might have been, how many of you are glad that that person used a tape measure when they built it? You glad about that? Let me tell you a little story about my brother. This is my older brother who's passed away. And I, I loved him dearly, honestly. But he was the worst builder I've ever seen in my life. If he went on Canada's worst handyman, he would have won in the finals. No problem. Hands down. And, uh, you know, I remember one day, we, we have this, this cottage that's been in the family many years. My, my grandfather built it in 1945. And it was right after the war. And he had someone build it. And they used used materials. It looked old when it was brand brand new. And so, you know, imagine what it's looked like over the years. And so we have this back porch and in the back porch, uh, what happens is we just threw junk in there. There was shovels and hose and, and, uh, you know, lawnmowers and gasoline and oil. It's just full of junk. And it was just, yeah, just like he threw a bunch of junk into the sermon and calls it a sermon. Yeah. Ram full of junk, just a complete disaster. And so my brother decided he needed to increase the size of the back porch. And so he's just started tearing it apart. Never asked for my help, never asked for my advice. I wander over there and he's got the whole wall off and he's extending the roof and extending the walls. And I'm looking at what he's using. He's doing the whole job with nothing other than a hammer and a handsaw. And so I said to him, I said, where's your tape measure? And he says, I couldn't find one. I said, well, what do you mean you couldn't find tape measure? I said, how are you deciding how long the, the stud should be? He says, see this one here? I'm just using this as a template. I said, Brad, the, the roof is sloped. Each one is shorter than the one before. He says, I know. So I just cut each board a little shorter than the one before. And then I looked and I said, where's your level? He says, I don't have a level. And I said, well, how are you going to know it's square and plumb and, and level? He says, I'm just eyeballing it. I said, you're eyeballing it? You can't possibly eyeball it. He said, look, Mark, the whole cottage is, is crooked. What difference is it going to make? <laughs> and you know what? He added on to it, and he was right. It didn't look any different. <laughs> and, you know, so here's, here's, here's my point, is that it's really important for us to have this thing called the tape measure. And there's another, there's another name for this in the shorter version, and it's called the ruler. How many had a ruler when you were in school? Remember the ruler? And you had the ruler and your teacher had something else. They had a yardstick. Do you remember the yardstick? And what was the yardstick used for? Hitting you. <laughs> that's, no, that's no joke. I know, I know the young people today would have a hard time believing this because if you did... That's right. I, I had a teacher who wielded a yardstick like a samurai sword, you know. <sighs> why, why, why... Are we doing this? Teachers did back then, you would go to jail. But in those days, they kept the yardstick on their desk, and they basically only used it to hit you with. And uh, I had one teacher in grade nine, Mr. Stevens, I'll out him a little bit. And Mr. Stevens had that yardstick always sitting there, and if you fell off, dozed off, I think he was waiting for this to happen. He wouldn't come and wrap you on the hands, he would literally come and whack you on the head with the yardstick. Now, he's a little more aggressive than most teachers because he was a gym teacher as well, right? You know the, the old saying, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach, and those who can't teach, teach gym, right? <laughs> I learned that on Mr. D. And, uh, 
Okay, so set looks like the 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 set at the church looks like uh, Tool Time. He's dressed up like Tim the Tool Man Taylor, and uh, it's all about parenting tips, apparently. And uh, wow, yeah, apparently God's word is no longer living and active, so we've got to gussy it up and uh, (laughs) make it more relevant by you know. Uh, doing things like that, including a large portion of stand-up comedy and things of that nature. Okay, so we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from Adalis Shuttlesworth, Paula White, and hopefully Perry Stone. I think we have time for him. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. So the new pastor came in and shut down the Sunday school, uh, canceled the adult Bible study, no. dumped the hymnals, oh, sacked the choir, and put dang. in a praise band and started preaching sermons that sound like they could be preached or done on Dr. Phil's program. It's awful. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Our chief weapon is purpose. Purpose and vision. Vision and purpose are two weapons. Our purpose and vision. And ruthless relevance are three weapons. Our purpose, vision, and ruthless relevance in an almost fanatical devotion to record are four weapons. Now, amongst our weaponry are such elements as purpose, vision. I'll I'll come in again. I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Nobody expects the purpose-driven inquisition. Amongst our weaponry are such diverse elements as purpose, vision, ruthless relevance, and almost fanatical devotion to Rick Warren and nice Hawaiian shirts. Oh, damn. I can't say it. You'll have to say it. Uh, what? You'll have to say what the bit about our chief weapons are. Uh, I, I couldn't do that. <clears throat> I didn't expect a kind of purpose-driven inquisition. Uh, nobody, uh, expects, uh, expects, no, nobody expects the, um, purpose driven, Inquisition. Uh, I, I know, I know nobody expects the purpose driven inquisition. In fact, those who yeah, do, chief ex- weapons are, our chief weapons are, um, purpose, uh, uh, vision. Okay. And- okay. Stop, stop that. Stop that. 
Our chief weapons are purpose. Blah, 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 blah. Youth Pastor Rick, read the charges. Dude, you're like hereby charged with being divisive and not following our program. That's enough. Now, how do you plead? Well, we're innocent. Ha! 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 We'll soon change your mind about that. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Uh, Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to Gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that preaching on direct revelations from God is not preaching the Word of God, because it's not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Here's how this all works. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and your rank is based upon your monthly financial commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey, $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate, 24 95 a month from their master gunner at 49.95 a month quartermaster 99.95 a month joining our crew is a great way to support us 
helps us have a solid base from which we can work from, pay our bills, budget, and things like that as we continue to expand our offering. And uh, you know, we've incurred new expenses this year, bringing on uh, Pirate Productions, and in a hope to you know even reach a broader audience. Uh, to help them understand uh, what sound biblical doctrine is, learn good discernment and not be deceived. So joining our crew, if you haven't already, please do so. Uh, You can also become a patron on Patreon. That's another option. Click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. I didn't know you was going to start out with Looking for a city built above. Looking for a city where we'll never die. Where the saint in millions never say goodbye. There we'll meet our Savior. Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that one in there today. So, <laughs> talk about you know out of, uh, off key. Uh, we're heading over to the YouTube channel for the evangelist uh, Jonathan Shuttlesworth. His wife Adalis Shuttlesworth does YouTube videos and videotionals and things like that, and uh, she's uh, going to be explaining to us on the revival today live program about how we need to create atmospheres for healing and stuff it's as bad as bad as the intro music that we just played we're going to begin with her kind of talking about who knows what here we go how fantastic was that how fantastic was that? I'm telling you, the best testimony you could send is one of you worked the word of God. That's what my pastor Nathan was talking about. Why is there fuzz all over my face? I don't know. My pastor... T- I have no idea why there's fuzz all over your face. Have you considered shaving? All right. Uh, preached an awesome message on Sunday. And it was work the work of God. You know that there's things that you have to do in your life to cultivate the atmosphere for miracles. And fi- right, apparently there's you got to work the work. So the, the stuff you got to do to cultivate at, at miracle atmospheres. Which biblical text, Adalis, says that we got to do things to create miracle atmospheres? I mean, if miracle atmospheres were as important as you make them sound like, and boy, you make them sound like they're really important. Don't you think that maybe one of the apostles might have mentioned miracle atmospheres? Or maybe one of the prophets of the Old Testament might have said a word or two about it. But uh, I've never seen a biblical text talking about the creation of miracle atmospheres. 
So uh, we got we got a problem here. It's an action. It's not just saying there and be like, I believe that. I believe that, sister. I believe that. Your shirt is cute. I believe that, though. No, it is actually you engaging in something, an activity, an action that releases the faith to get the job done, just like this lady here. She- yeah, who, who's... Uh, testimony apparently she had just read you know because that lady was working the work and she created a miracle atmosphere by doing the the the, the thing yeah whoa i haven't seen her yet so her name will become maria maria doesn't do, do it right okay her name is not maria but i'm just saying uh, fantastic fantastic maria and here's another one what- N- another another testimony coming in now, here's the weird part. We do get testimonies uh, here at our email address for Fighting for the Faith. If you want to email me, the, the email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Every email that comes in, there's a name. You know, it's, yeah, it's it's weird. So she didn't know who, who the other, that testimony was from. But that woman, she worked the work and created a miracle atmosphere. You know, so there, you know, didn't know what her name is, but it's Maria now. Uh huh. <clears throat> color me skeptical. That, by the way, does anyone talk that way anymore about you know color me this or? Yeah, I don't think they do. I think that's really kind of an antiquated reference. Let's keep going. I'm gonna share a quick testimony. While watching the broadcast, while Jonathan's sister shared her testimony, my friend in another time zone called suddenly to ask me to be in agreement with her. Her young son. Is this another broadcast? While Jonathan's done another broadcast with Jonathan's sister. She should come back. Amen. Type amen. Say, come back. Hashtag, come back, Jess. Let that trend. Come back, Jess. We need you. Uh, shared her testimony. My friend in another time zone called suddenly to ask me to be in agreement with her. Her young son kept showing pre-diabetic symptoms. And after all the pressure, all, after all the pressuring from her husband, she took him to get checked. I told her to anoint him and ingest some oil. Take communion with all her kids and read them. Uh, do- anoint him and ingest some oil. Where in scripture are we told to ingest oil if we're ha- <sighs> Anatomy 28. Yeah. That's my girl right there. Mm. You know who you are. You know who you are. You bad girl. Okay. Uh, They're believers, but she needed someone to stand with her on this lie from the devil. We prayed, took authority over this lie, and today she received the test back that he's absolutely normal. Hallelujah. Thank you for continuing to build up faith in new believers and old on the power and authority we have through Jesus. Mic drop, mic drop right there. Whoa, yeah. This just changes everything, apparently, yeah. Uh, no biblical text to back up any of the theology that's going along with these claims. Okay. I'm just running again. All right, she's doing a victory lap around the set, I guess. Nick, I'm running. Nick! Nick, I'm running. She's standing. Okay. Why don't you do some jumping jacks while you're at it, Adala said. All right, don't be scared no more. Okay. I just needed that out. Okay. Okay. we, We got that business. Yeah. Ooh, glory. Glory. Back to this broadcast. Uh, welcome this morning. Uh, thanks, everybody, for, for watching. Yes, come back. Hashtag come back, Jess. Come back, Jess. Uh, Felicia, yes. Fantastic. If you're not praising the Lord, you, you got something wrong with you. Okay? 
<laughs> if, you, if you're not praising the Lord, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, this is just, what is this? What you ought to do is rejoice. Yeah. Even for your brothers and sisters, okay? Yeah, just do it. Just do Lift it. Lift up your hands and thank God for those wonderful miracles. Yeah. Because they are amazing. Amazing. Okay, so I'm going to do something. Uh, in the start of each broadcast, maybe read a testimony, maybe run around, sip some coffee, talk to you. But I want you, I'm going to make a declaration. I've been going. If you haven't gone yet, go to our Instagram account, Revival Today. Uh, Revival Today Instagram. I post every day a declaration of health for this time that we have health and a cure um, for this series, this month series. Health and a cure for the month. Apparently, that was the February series health and cure theme thingy. Uh, this month series. So go on Instagram, and and it is so important that you not just like take in what the Word of God says on healing uh, and make it a practice. There are things that you have to declare over your life. Over oh, there's stuff I gotta declare. Oh man, I haven't been doing that. Oh boy. Oh, I'm surprised I'm not dead yet children's life over your marriage over your finances every day so this is something that you could just be at work and you just read it out loud and lord yes i declare uh that me being set free from every oppression of the and so you know there is power in what you say so what right so she's one of these word of faith heretics declared word is as good as a word that's already done and oh yeah those declared words good as a word that's already done says no biblical text anywhere the, the, what you say creates that reality. So this is no Bible verse says that we're going to open this broadcast in and we're going to declare this and we're going to continue to declare this every day that we're on the broadcast. Amen. So I don't care where you are. If you're listening to me, if you're washing dishes, if you're folding the laundry, if you're you know, hosting a program dedicated to exposing false teachers, you know, stuff like that. At your, your work with the, with the little pot on, I want you to say this heavenly father. I open my heart to receive your word. Let it change every aspect of my life. I can't hear you. Your word. That's because you're in a studio recording and on video. Has the power to transform. So I receive that transformation power. Right. Sickness and disease Flees from me. <laughs> no, it's not sickness and disease that's fleeing from you. It's, um, you know, like sound biblical theology, solid reason, you know, sound mind, things like that. Those have all fled, apparently. <laughs> Moving along. I've got... 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira. Now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money, you can make a splash. Money, 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 money. Nothing like a newly minted money. Money, money, money. Everyone must anger for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that waits the world around, round, 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 round. You can keep your mouth's ways, but it's only just a place for 
So we're uh, heading over to the uh, Facebook Live Periscopian uh, channel for Paula White. And her version of, you know, the intensity of the battle tells you how big your blessing and uh, and stuff is. It's a false teaching. But uh, here's Paula White. Here we go. Hey, guys. Hope you're having a great day. Sorry I'm having to hold this by hand, so it might be a little bit shaky, but I feel like... Not as shaky as your theology, just just saying, you know. I really put a word in my heart and my spirit for you. No, God didn't put nothing in there for us. Um, and I, in, that'd be the last place I would go to find a word from God is inside of your greedy heart. Um, yeah. Make sure you Facebook and Twitter some people out right now and let them know to jump on this Bible study because I believe that God has a very specific word for you and that he's about to minister to you mightily. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the heck you might be facing or maybe what has come against you this day, this week. Maybe you're looking back saying, thank you, Lord, that this week has come to an end. But I do feel like this, that whatever the battle is, Whatever the pit has been, it is only positioning you for the purpose that God has for you. In fact, the battle and the intensity. The pit or the battle. Whatever the pit is. Yeah, yeah, okay, the battle. So it's the intensity. Let me back this up just a smidge. Here we go again. Positioning you for the purpose that God has for you. In fact, the battle and the intensity of the battle is only an indication of the blessing that is coming your way. Oh, yeah. It's been an intense battle, man. Oh, that means I have a huge blessing coming. (laughs) Payday. Payday. I'm going to be rich. No, I'm not. Wait a second. The Bible doesn't teach any of this. If I could just say it, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, because God is getting ready to exalt you for promotion doesn't come from the south, the east or the west, but promotion comes from the Lord. God's getting ready to exalt me for promotion. Oh, man. Move over, people living on easy street. I'm going to get promotion. Yeah, baby. Raise the roof here. All right. Yeah. God that lifts you up and sets you in a high place. He lifts you out of the miry clay. He lifts you out of that that pit. He lifts you out of that place and he positions you and even puts you before his princes, the princes of his people. So I have a word from you that God has given me specifically. Yeah, right. Yeah. So God's given her this word. See, he does. He doesn't know how to get a hold of you. Yeah, God doesn't know how to contact you directly, so he had to send the the prophetess Paula White, right? The book of Ephesians. As I was just studying before I get ready. Wait, 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 wait. God had the Apostle Paul write the book of Ephesians like almost 2,000 years ago. I mean, the churches and all Christians throughout Christian history have had the book of Ephesians for a really long time. I don't need you to... Tell me that God told you a word directly for me that supposedly comes from Ephesians. I could just read it. I mean, the job of a pastor is to preach the word and help people rightly understand it. But already I'm pretty convinced you're not going to help us rightly understand the, uh, the book of Ephesians up here in Washington, D.C. I'm with Reverend Franklin Graham and 600 persecuted Christians from around the world that represent over 136 countries. Just unbelievable stories and testimonies what god is doing is so supernatural and so miraculous 
literally um, one of our brothers from Egypt, his brother was the one that was beheaded on the beaches there for his faith. One of our brothers in Sudan um, for saying the name of Jesus Christ and just proclaiming his faith was beaten and put in prison. And he was sharing his testimony of does he die in hatred or does he live in love by the power of forgiveness? I, I mean, sometimes, especially here in America or in the West. Yeah, I guarantee you, Paula White is not going to be martyred for her belief that uh, that you know, God makes you rich through seed offerings and stuff. In world, we look and we know that persecution is persecution. And whether it is you're being lied on or someone's trying to hurt you or damage you, I thank God that I wake up and I had life today, the gift of life. And so I want to encourage you because this is what God put in my spirit for you. I don't know who's going through a battle, but I do know that God has a word for you. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, if we look at verse 12, it says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. It's really talking about the church being a a mystery from uh, hidden past ages and how he'll sum all things up in Christ Jesus and how we've been hid in God and created uh, all things by Jesus Christ and that we now have power over principalities, etc. And he goes, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom, through Jesus, we have boldness. So whatever is coming against you in the form of fear and intimidation, let the Lord rebuke it right now. I break every spirit of fear, every spirit of intimidation for God. She's breaking spirits of fear and intimidation right here on Facebook Live, folks. Never been done before. Oh, man, the power is being released throughout the whole Internet, breaking the spirits of fear and stuff. Not give you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. I de- mm, yeah, the sound mind thing seems to be missing from many people that we seem to cover here at Fighting for the Faith. Just saying, moving along. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head of my shoulders is sore loose. And I ain't got sense God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. Is it wetter underwater if you're there when it rains? Is it shorter to New York than it is by plane? Between myself and I, I wonder who's the dumber. Is it hotter down south? Than it is in the summer. I'm a nut. I'm a nut. My life don't ever get in a rut. The head of my shoulders is sour loose. I ain't got since God gave a goose. Lord, I ain't crazy, but I'm a nut. All right, so that means we're heading over to Manifest uh, with Perry Stone and. Uh, he likes to travel to Israel and record and stuff there. And apparently Israel and Jerusalem are the keys to prosperity. I had no idea. No wonder I'm not rich. I've never used the Israel-Jerusalem prosperity keys to unlock my prosperity. Oh, man, if only I had known this sooner. Here's Perry Stone to explain. And so I'm going to bring you a message that I have been wanting to share with you for quite some time. I'm going to be talking about Israel and Jerusalem, the key to your personal prosperity and blessing. Yeah, wow. I mean, 
I've been doing it wrong this whole time. Clearly, that shows in my bank account. But okay, okay. So good, good, good. Finally, I can be rich. Now, before you think this is just some kind of a traditional prosperity message, it is not traditional prosperity message. <laughs> Normally, traditional is associated with like, you know, old school Christian orthodoxy, yeah, orthodox practice, orthodox belief. There's no such thing as old school prosperity message. No. All prosperity messages are new school because this is a new heresy created by greedy Americans who uh, have decided that use the name of Jesus to line their pockets with green stuff. But I'm going to be sharing with you what I believe is the key to the blessing of God that's been upon our ministry. It's connected to Israel. It's connected to the city of Jerusalem and the covenant that God has for this land. And I want to teach that to you on the telecast today. And I want to share with you the significance and the importance of Israel and Jerusalem as it relates to your blessing and your prosperity and God blessing your life. Now, just as a sort of a testimony, we have three main ministries. So note what he's going to do is start with a testimony. This will prove that what he's saying is true. Not a biblical text in context. No. Personal testimony proves that this is absolutely the case. And so he's going to talk about this. We know that, that Israel and Jerusalem are the keys to prosperity because, well, this is our personal testimony. No, if this were true, the scripture would teach it. Things in Cleveland, Tennessee. We have the first Voice of Evangelism building that we built many years ago. We have a 45,000 square foot television studio production facility that was built, uh, I believe it was around 1998 when it was dedicated. We also have the Omega Center International, which is a 72,000 square foot. I have a beanbag in my mother's basement, totally paid for. Building with offices, it's where we have our Tuesday night services every Tuesday night, and also where we have all of our major conferences with sometimes up to 4,000 and more people in attendance. Now, these buildings, oddly enough, are completely debt-free. But I want to share something with you. Our ministry, and many of you don't know this, if you're a partner, you do, but many of you don't know this, our ministry does not send out letters asking for money. Now, I'm not against other ministries that do that. That's fine. But in 41 years of full-time ministry, I have only sent out one letter, which was an emergency letter, probably 25 years ago, asking for help. Now, someone said, how are you able to take care of all the expenses that come into a ministry? Television airtime, which is about $6 million a year. Well, most of you know we offer a resource material at the end of a program, and it's, that's a great help. But I believe the key has to do with Israel and Jerusalem. Now, I'm going to give you, in the next few moments, as many keys as I can give you that I have used. You see, I mean, the fact that, I mean, he's got this bazillion-dollar budgets and and they're not in debt and stuff. And, oh, yeah, see, this proves that these keys are absolutely rock solid for sure the truth, you know. For God blessing our work in ministry. Now, if you're a pastor of a church, you need to hear this specifically because a lot of pastors, their churches or ministries are in heavy debt right now. So how does God move and the favor of God come to bless your ministry and your work? Number one, and I'm going to give you the keys I have used, is you have to be completely in the will of God. It is mm, Completely in the will of God. Would that mean perfectly obeying the Ten Commandments? Because if that's the case, well, I'm not going to qualify. Apparently, God's blessings are all earned here.
very important that you don't build because people put pressure on you. It's important that you build because the Holy Spirit tells you to. I built the Omega Center International at a time of a great recession in America, the biggest recession since the Great Depression. Three of our banks that we have worked with in Cleveland, Tennessee, none of them would loan us a construction loan. And I had to go before God and believe God in prayer for the finances to come in. But I was not afraid to build. Not one time was I apprehensive or afraid. Here's why. Because I had a revelation from the Spirit that I was to build a gathering place for a generation. So number- He had a revelation from the Spirit. So there, you know, that proves it right there, man. Okay. One is always know you're in the exact perfect will of God when you do what you do. Now, this, we're talking about the blessing of God coming to your life. Number two, we began to form prayer teams to pray for income. Instead- no, these steps are nowhere found in Scripture, in this order, anywhere. You know, he's discovered them all on his own. Personal testimony proves it's true, though, you know. Us going on television or sending out letters or getting up telling people, we need your help, we need your help. We just simply prayed. And we had one lady, she's gone to be with the Lord, Ellen Canode, and she would go in a prayer room and she would pray scriptures and ask God to give us the finances that we needed to do what we were doing. So literally, we prayed in the finances. Our young people at our prayer barn. and They prayed them in from the prayer barn, man. Those finances came in because they prayed them in. And they were perfectly in God's will. Totally perfectly. Yeah, the Spirit re- revealed all of these things to him, you know. So at VOE, when we would pray, I would say, we need a million dollars to pay the bills for this building. Pray it in. And they'd pray it in. And we would get supernatural increase in unexpected checks in the mail. Prayer is a real key. Now, the third thing I would say is simply this, and I mentioned this earlier, is we would begin to pray the scriptures over what we needed. You see, God has to honor his word. And the Bible said he watches over his word to perform it. So So if I pray the scripture over my checkbook, that'll bring the money in. Got it. Okay. You begin to pray the word of God. You are praying in agreement with what he's told you. God cannot lie according to the book of Numbers. So what he, you think he's told you inside of your heart, you have to pray the scriptures over that. And since God doesn't lie, you know, what you feel he's told you, that, that'll that have to happen because you feel that he told you that. Uh-huh. He's not a man that he should lie. So in other words, if he's given a promise, he has to be faithful to the promise if you meet the condition. And that uh, no promises are not based on conditions. So uh, then again, so the, I mean, notice the out there. So uh, well, God promised me this; it didn't happen. Well, well, did you meet the conditions? Nope. Yeah, that's right. It's it's your fault that God didn't keep His promise. That doesn't make sense. Condition is having a pure heart before God and being righteous in His sight. Now the fourth thing was this, and this is important. As a leader over these major ministries, my wife and I are tithers and givers. I just do not understand for the life of me why there are some people who claim to read the Bible and they're anti-tithing and anti-giving. Well, the fact is the... I don't know anyone who's anti-giving. I will say this. The tithe is a Mosaic covenant command, not a new covenant command. The enemy or Satan doesn't want you to tithe or give because he knows, number one, what you give helps the gospel to get out. It helps people. And number two, he knows that according to many scriptures of the Bible, blessings can be released to a tither and a giver. 
I've been tithing since I was 11 years of age. What does that mean? That means every time I get any kind of income, whatever, not just a paycheck through our ministry, but maybe income on the side. I'm a songwriter. I've gotten songwriting royalties. I've gotten book royalties from time to time when I would write books for uh, different uh, publishers. And so I always give God the tenth of that. It's no questions asked. It belongs to him, not me. So as a leader, I have to set the example for other people by being a giver and knowing that God honors those who give according to his covenant. Now, we're giving you principles that we have used. We're going to talk about Israel and Jerusalem in just a moment. Number five, you have to step out when God speaks. I call this step. Yeah, you got to step out, man. And the reason why you got to step out when God speaks is because, you know, Peter walked on the water, don't you know? Yeah, that's what he's going to say here. Out of the boat. When Jesus said to Peter, come and walk on the water, if Peter would have stayed in the boat, nothing would have happened. Yeah, the reason why Peter got out is because he doubted it was Jesus. Read the text. And step. And nowhere am I told I've got to step out of any boats. Now, let me fast forward just a smidge to the part where he actually talks about Israel and it being a key. All of these steps, by the way, none of them are found in the Bible, but he's apparently found them. But and he, he can prove it because, you know, personal testimony that proves it. Here we go. Well, let's talk for a moment about the city of Jerusalem and Israel. Now, I believe with all of my heart that there are several verses in the Bible that indicate the significance of Israel and Jerusalem to our blessing. Now, one of them is in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. Now, the word bless in Genesis... You'll note that uh, in Genesis 12, Jerusalem is not the city that it is today. What is this? 12 verse 3 actually means to increase. So God says, if I bless Israel, God's going to increase me. The word curse there is interesting because it actually means to diminish or make small. In other words, what God is saying here is I'm going to diminish you and make you small if you do not love my people. All right? I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. Now think for a moment about the empires. That makes no sense because Abraham is Abraham. The promise is given to him. That have attacked the city of Jerusalem or attacked the Jewish people. And where are they at today? You have the Egyptian empire. Pharaoh chased the children of Israel to the Red Sea with his chariots and his army. And you know what happened to them? They, not Israel, but Pharaoh and his army ended up in the bottom of the sea. You come to the time of the Assyrians when 185,000 soldiers camped on the opposite end of this wall on the east side, filling the valley of Jehoshaphat and the valley, uh, all that area in front of the, we now know as the Eastern Gate, that vicinity, not that gate, but that vicinity. And an angel of God came through that night and 185,000 soldiers were dead in the morning. Why? Because they came against the covenant. They came against God's people. Oh, we could- uh, yeah, read the prophet Isaiah. I mean, God actually heard the prayer of Hezekiah regarding Sennacherib. And literally, uh, God answered because of the prayer. The text actually says that in the prophet Isaiah. Uh, I would note something here. Um, he, all the people who have attacked Israel, they're all gone now. The Assyrians are gone. The Egyptians are gone. Note something here. 
It was Rome who literally kicked the Jews out of the promised land. Yeah, I mean, 70 AD, destruction of the temple, uh, and, uh, and, you know, and literally the Jews wiped out of Judea because of their insurrection and their zealotry and all this kind of stuff, scattered into the nations, and they ceased to be in the land of Israel until... 1948, and Rome continued on as a thing for many, 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 many centuries to come. Yeah, what he's saying is historically inaccurate, and that just when you point out the historical inaccuracies of it, it proves that his twisting of Genesis 12 is uh, is not a proper understanding of what that passage means. By the way. Read the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians notes the covenant that God made with Abraham as the covenant of note as it comes to us as Christians. Uh huh. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and God made a covenant with Abraham and his offspring, singular, who is Jesus. That's what the book of Galatians says. Uh huh. And all of us who have been, who are baptized, penitent believers in Jesus Christ, We've been grafted into Israel, and uh-huh, and like Abraham, we too are declared by God to be righteous by grace through faith because we believe the promises of God. Read the book of Galatians. So, yeah, it's clear that um, Perry Stone here is uh, pulling a fast one. But, of course, you know, it's all true because, you know, because testimonies, right, uh, that doesn't work that way is the best way I could put it. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. I'm going to end the week off with a couple of good sermons from Pastor Mark Bestial. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss them. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. 
Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. (laughs) (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. (laughs) (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Two of fighting for the faith. Let's see if we can end off with a couple of good sermons here. Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's good sermons come to us via Calvary Lutheran Church, Elgin, Illinois. Pastor Mark Bestial presiding. Sermon number one is titled The Penitence Substitute. It's based on the Gospel of Mark, verses 9 through 15. Second sermon is titled At Christ's Expense, based on the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. I will go ahead and read out each of the passages prior to the sermon, and then we'll listen to each of them in order. Let me go ahead and back off on the music, and here is the text that forms the basis of the first sermon that we will listen to. It's from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Here's how it reads. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
Here's the first sermon, The Penitence Substitute. Here we go. To you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text, the Gospel reading, including this middle portion, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, when we consider the temptation of Jesus, we often struggle with whether we should see this temptation as an example for our temptation, or whether we should see him as standing out there in the wilderness in our place. Certainly there are times when we consider Jesus as an example. We'll hear him say so this Wednesday, when we consider his words in the upper room. And our epistle reading, at first glance, seems to imply that we could meditate this morning on how Jesus' temptation is an encouragement for us to remain steadfast, so that maybe we should take lessons from Abraham, who remained steadfast in our Old Testament reading. Then again, the Old Testament reading is a great reminder of Jesus for us. The lesson of Abraham is not so much to say that he was tempted by God, God tempts no one, but to demonstrate that Jesus is the substitute victim for Isaac and for all sons of Abraham, as foreshadowed by the ram crowned with thorns. And speaking of a for us substitute, we just sang it in Luther's famous hymn, that for us fights, present tense, that he's still our intercessor. For us fights the valiant one. So that even now we have comfort of Jesus interceding for us. So which is it? Is it Jesus the example? Or Jesus the substitute? Well actually there's a danger in reading, in our text anyway, through the lens of Jesus the example. And we begin to notice it when we more carefully consider the readings. Abraham may have been under trial. He was being tested. And James says we will be under trial. But trial is not temptation. Trial and testing comes from God. Temptation comes from that which seeks to separate us. From God. Trial comes to strengthen. Temptation comes to tear apart. A teacher tries and tests his or her students to see what they know and what they still need help learning. But a heart that is too prideful to admit its imperfection is what tempts the student to cheat and thereby tear down his own integrity rather than humbly learn from the test and trial. And so if trial is not temptation, then we ought to be very cautious in using James and the reading from James to compare our temptation to Jesus' temptation. Consider these words of our Gospel reading. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. In the Greek, he threw him out into the wilderness. Now, if we try to apply this to ourselves as an example, what are we led to conclude? That the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, drives us toward temptation? 
Is this why we pray, lead us not into temptation? Because we have a schizophrenic God who at times shields us from temptation and then at other times drives us right into it? So that we can somehow no longer have to admit to the words of our epistle reading, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. In other words, husband and wives, does your love for each other wax and wane and temptations of anger or infidelity or selfishness arise because the Holy Spirit leads your otherwise perfect heart to be tempted? Or is it because your very sinful heart lures and entices you to believe that God has not perfectly chosen your spouse for you? Parents and children, does your mutual honoring of and mindfulness of each other as a gift of God grow cold because the Holy Spirit leads your otherwise perfect heart to be tempted with hostility toward other sinners around you? Or is it because your very sinful heart lures and entices you to wrestle for your will, not God's will, for the household? Any of you who might be lonely, do you despair because the Holy Spirit leads your otherwise perfect heart to be tempted? Or is it because your very sinful heart lures and entices you to believe God has forgotten you and has failed to provide you the daily bread you deem best for this body and life? Siblings and friends, do you argue with, and in a sense play one-upsmanship with each other? Because the Holy Spirit tempts your otherwise perfect heart to ruin each other's reputation before mom and dad or with each other? Or is it because your very sinful heart lures and entices you to think that it's childish to treat one another as baptized brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you see what a pitfall it is? Placing the blame of our sin on the Holy Spirit supposed leading us into the wilderness. If we try to compare our temptation to Jesus' temptation in our text. Our temptation comes from within. You can't excuse anything else. Or you can't excuse it with anything else. Our temptation comes from within. For our hearts are sin-laden. Jesus says it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, and really by extension what comes from the heart, that's what defiles a person. But Christ, the perfect man, has no sin-laden heart. And so if he is going to be the perfect substitute that endures temptation for us, that temptation to attack his perfect heart must come from without and so the Spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And through that lens, through the lens of the Christ coming to fulfill the promises of a perfect substitute for our sin-laden, luring and enticing hearts, through that lens we correctly read and delight in our text for this morning. Let's recall that we've heard much of this Gospel reading just in the past month or so. The first few verses you might recall, were the end of the Gospel reading on the day that we commemorated the baptism of our Lord. 
Just a few weeks later, we heard the last few verses of today's text. The last few verses were the beginning of the Gospel reading for the third Sunday after the Epiphany. And then recall, in this first chapter of St. Mark, we're in this first chapter of St. Mark still, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is all about revealing him who comes on the scene with the authority to bring the kingdom of heaven and the fulfillment of all the prophecies regarding your salvation. The verses of Jesus' baptism are included again. You see them in your text before you, verses 9 through 11 or so. They're included again to underscore the urgency and righteousness of our substitute. The urgency is heard in that word immediately. In fact, if you read through the book of Mark, you'll get tired circling all the times you read this word immediately. Immediately at Jesus' coming, the heavens open, and the Holy Spirit is immediately involved with his urgent mission. But it's not only the urgency of the Messiah that Mark mentions, but also his righteousness. Why else can the Father call him my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased? Can he say that to you? Can he say it to me? No, we are not the righteous of God. But rather, he says it to his beloved Son on account of his righteousness. The righteous substitute is now on the scene, urgent in carrying out his mission to save sinners. This is why those first few verses are again included as part of the text. Now we get to the heart of the matter. The middle two verses point us to this righteous one's temptation and fulfillment of all things on our behalf. And because a righteous heart will not tempt itself, but is tempted from outside itself, as we've said, the Holy Spirit immediately, there's that word again, immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Mark doesn't need to record Jesus' exchange with the devil. We know those well from Matthew and Luke. Because Mark's purpose is to simply show the urgent and fulfilling all things nature and purpose of this righteous one. And that's exactly where Mark focuses your attention when he says, and Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. Isn't that fulfillment? Isn't that the fulfillment of the children of Israel? In the wilderness, 40 years, their hearts luring and enticing them to grumble against God and despise his plans and purposes for them because they knew better. But now our hope is not in Israel, it's in Jesus. The greater Israel with a perfect heart. In the wilderness for 40 years. Remaining faithful to the Father in all trials, even as Satan uses those trials for temptation. And then in the very next sentence, the very next sentence, we are reminded that Jesus is also the fulfillment of Adam. Adam, who didn't resist temptation, even while in the lush garden with the tame and the perfect animals, so tame and perfect that he got to name them all. But now for your hope and confidence, the new Adam comes in a fallen garden of desert wilderness and amidst untamed and wild animals of the fall. In urgent, immediate succession, we are reminded that this Messiah is the new Israel, 
and the new Adam, fulfilling all righteousness on our behalf, on his mission to make all things new. And lest we forget who this Messiah is, Mark records that the angels minister to him. Not that they were helping him with his temptation, that he wouldn't be our substitute. But rather they were ministering to him as they do each and every time they are sent to herald him as God in the flesh. They proclaim him at his incarnation in the womb of Mary, at his birth in a stable, at his hour of grief, grief in Gethsemane. They're at the ready, if you were to call on the legions of angels, so that Peter can put away his sword, not needed Peter. They're even there at the empty tomb, proclaiming his resurrection. They only distance themselves from him at the cross. For he is completely isolated as the forsaken recipient of God's wrath and condemnation. And so that means in these two brief verses, Mark's purpose in recording Jesus' temptation is complete. Your substitute has begun his urgent mission of fulfilling the prophetic word. I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, he says. And coming to be that active, obedient one who willingly was born under the law to keep the holy law, that he might redeem us who were rightly under the weight of the law, that by his redemption you and I might receive the adoption of sons. And that adoption of sons is now yours, isn't it? It's yours through the urgent work of Christ crucified being administered to you. It's yours now in the comfort of that pew, almost so comfortable that we almost forget the urgency of the matter. Didn't we hear that this last Wednesday, the urgency of St. Paul pleading to you, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Now is the day of salvation, he says. And Paul's urgency has as its source the Messiah's urgency. He who proves himself worthy in the wilderness, now at the end of the text, immediately comes on the scene preaching, the time is fulfilled. In other words, now is the day of salvation. There's that reminder of fulfillment again. The age of foreshadowing is over. Now is the day of salvation. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus says. And so will we not heed his cry? Doesn't the righteous one, who perfectly obeyed his Father's will and showed that perfect obedience and temptation, even to the point of death and death upon the cross, doesn't he now have all authority to point out your disobedience? How willing and glad we are to hear the mouthpiece of Christ claim, I, by the authority of Jesus Christ, forgive you your sins. And yet how much less willing are we to hear the voice of Christ appeal to that same authority to call those sins to repentance, to call you to repentance and make known those sins. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. He calls us to repentance 
but he does so specifically because the one who righteously honored the holy law, that same one also is the gospel. He is the gospel. Father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? The Lord will provide, my son. He is the gospel in whom we sinners may take shelter and receive comfort against our sins and against all the attacks of the devil. This is the better way, indeed really it's the only proper way, for us to wrestle with our temptation. Not to see Jesus the example and then hope that I have the strength to follow his example pure, but rather to cherish Jesus the substitute and cherishing him to boldly wrestle with temptation specifically, knowing that it comes from the lure and enticement of my own sinful desire, but that it has been overcome by the one better than Adam, better than Israel, better than me, so that I may flee to Christ my substitute, for he is able to lead me out of temptation, to point out where I have fallen into sin and call me to repent of it. And not only is he able, but he's also very, very willing, urgently willing to forgive my sin and by his blood to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Friends, this is what it means for us to repent and believe in the gospel. The baptized of God, who examine themselves and know their sin, we repent not so much because we have to, though I suppose if we wanted to be stubborn about it, God could and would speak that way, but rather the baptized of God repent because we need to and we get to. We need to repent because our sins are great. They're too burdensome for us. And they will drag us into the depths of hell if God does not lift them from us. We also need to repent because if we're being honest with ourselves, our pride is much bigger and greater than is our ability to wield the word of God against temptation in daily life. We think we're much better at it than we really are. And we become prideful of ourselves, all the while mishandling the word of truth. We need Christ to apply law and gospel with the precision of a surgeon saving with a scalpel. But as we need to repent, we also get to repent. Because we have a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who will not treat us according to what our sins deserve, if we had a God who was only just and wasn't merciful, the word repent would never show up in the scriptures. Have you ever thought of that? The word repent is implicitly at all, uh, implicitly at least, a call to receive his mercy. If he was not merciful, there would be no call to repentance. But ours is a God who graciously sacrifices of himself to remove our sin from us. Indeed, we get to repent in certain confidence 
that our God will not hold our sins against us, and therefore neither will our fellow Christian. Because for us fights the valiant one. We have a righteous substitute who atoned for those sins, who reconciled us to God by his substitutionary sacrifice, so that faith can look to him and understand that no sin can be held against us. Isn't this what St. Paul says in Romans 3? All are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a substitutionary sacrifice to be received by faith. Faith gets to receive this gospel. And therefore, faith boldly faces every trial and fervently wrestles every temptation. Faith is made confident by the word of free forgiveness from God and with the blood of Christ is strengthened amid every trial and temptation to live in faith toward God and in fervent love toward one another. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Sermon number two is based upon the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 38, which reads, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, uh, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the text that forms the basis of our second sermon, titled, At Christ's Expense. Here we go. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the disciples knew, they knew who Jesus was. You are the Christ. They were certain in their answer. That's an important thing to keep in mind with what comes next. Because it shows us quite clearly that one can know that Jesus is the Christ and still be confused on what to expect of that Christ. The disciples had an expectation of that Christ, and they wanted to share him with all. But the text says he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. 
In other words, he said, we're doing this my way. You may be zealous about making the Christ known, well and good, but we're doing it my way. And what was his way? He began to teach them, the twelve, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed and after three days rise again. This is an important statement, an important teaching on Jesus' part, because notice that Mark talks about that which Jesus will passively do. He'll suffer. He'll be rejected. He'll be killed. He'll suffer it all passively and obediently as the Lamb going uncomplaining forth. And then, actively, He will rise from the dead. Not passive, that He will be raised from the dead, but active. He will rise from the dead. In other words, as he taught the twelve plainly, he showed that he was in control. No one takes my life from me. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Yes, it's going to be done his way. And he plainly teaches them that his way is the theology of the cross. Namely, he says, yes, you will one day see your Lord in glory. But your salvation lies in my death. Yes, you may want to tell everyone I'm the Christ and define that according to glorious expectations. But you're not saying anything until I put on plain display that the Christ is to be known by his sacrificial suffering and death from which will flow the glorious promises. But Peter will have none of that. He had confessed the Christ through the lens of glory. And so Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Funny thing about that word rebuke. In the Greek, it's the same word as a few verses earlier when Jesus strictly charged them. And by using the same word, Mark's gospel makes it clear. Where Christ said, we're doing it my way, Peter's emotional outburst now proclaims, no, We're doing it our way. But Jesus turns and looking at the disciples so as to make the point perfectly clear, he rebukes Peter. And what do you you suppose that that word rebuke means? It's the same Greek word as has been used throughout. And so Jesus rebukes him saying, Oh no, you don't, Peter. This will be done my way. Or more specifically, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You sense the power struggle here, don't you? Two views of what that word Christ actually means. Jesus says, blessed are you, you know I am the Christ, but don't reveal it because this will be handled my way, and my way is the way of the cross. And Peter says, never. Our way of glory is far better. And Jesus says, you are nothing more than a tool of Satan. My way is the only way. For there is none other way by which atonement is made for sin. This is a classic scriptural example, perhaps the most visual of them all, of the the power struggle, if you will, between the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. How many people there are who genuinely, genuinely bear the name Christian, 
who love genuinely and dearly the title Christ and yet are offended by his method of justifying sinners. Remember, we're not talking about non-Christians being offended. Peter and the disciples knew Jesus was the Christ. They were Christians. And yet they were offended by the notion that it is necessary for the definition of Christ. It was necessary for salvation that Jesus suffer and be killed for our sins. With the result that Jesus himself calls them not Christians, but Satan. If we're being honest, friends, we have to admit that it's all too common that we want to focus on and confess the title and glory of the Christ without the mission and work of the Christ remaining in view. Some of us in various settings the past few weeks, whether service guild or confirmation or even even this coming uh, uh, Bible study this morning, have opportunity to consider how central this theology of the cross is to the right understanding of the word grace. The proper understanding of grace can be taught by using the word grace as an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Now certainly grace includes God's riches. If we only ever talk about the death of Jesus and never point out how it benefits us and never speak of how God's or, or speak of God's riches bestowed upon us, riches like forgiveness of sins and, and daily bread and the resurrection and eternal life, if we never talk about those things, we would shortchange the word grace. We would shortchange this acronym and we would misuse the scriptural term grace. But the far greater danger in our age, as has proven itself throughout all of history, is that Christians love to focus on God's riches, but they see the final three words of the acronym, at Christ's expense, as less important, or merely an event of history that can now be dropped from the acronym. If you are not willing to look at God's riches through the lens of at Christ's expense, you will never have a handle on grace. Sadly, this was true for the twelve who proudly declared him the Christ but rebuked the words of the cross. Sadly, it's also true for so many who proudly bear the name Christian today. They'd rather replace the at Christ's expense But it's not at Christ's excellence or at Christ's exaltation, but at Christ's expense. If you want Jesus to be for you, he must be for you the way God's plan and purpose had in mind for the Christ. Instead, so many hold on to the acronyms GR, God's riches, but they unwittingly drop the A-C-E, the at Christ's expense, and unwittingly redefine grace through other GR words, you might say. Words like growth. Yes, the last 25, 35 years in the church has certainly had its fill of hopes in church growth. More numbers than God must love us, and if we want God to love us, we have to see more numbers. 
closely aligned to that GR word is another word. Groups. Yes, if our church has groups of demographic identity, we must be growing in the gospel. And in order to grow in the gospel, we must have demographic identity of particular groups. Or maybe it wasn't growth. Maybe it was another GR word, like greatness. Yes, if God loves me, my daily life will be great. I'll have my best life now. That's the way I want the Christ to work. Or maybe Christians recognize that visible glory and growth or greatness isn't the way, but they unwittingly choose a much more humble form of the theology of glory. You might call it grit. Yes, with all my determination through the tribulation of my daily life, I will show just how strong my faith is in God. And God will be so pleased with that faith, he'll be sure to bestow upon me his riches. Or perhaps it's not grit, but it's groveling. If I just beg enough, if I just pray enough and repent enough, the power of all of that will be something God can't resist. And he'll give me his riches. We could go on and on. How many ways we butcher the true definition of grace, all because we don't want to be constantly reminded that it's at Christ's expense. We don't want to be constantly reminded that we live, breathe, and utterly depend upon the theology of his cross. But why don't we? Perhaps that's the question. Why do we care what our Christ looks like and sounds like and focuses on and glories in? Why do we care as long as we get God's grace from it? Why are we so offended that this is the mission of the Messiah and the course of the Christ? It's for this reason. It's because we know that no servant ought expect to fare any better than his master. And if our master is to advance a theology of humility and suffering in this life, what ought the followers of that master expect for themselves? Isn't that really the problem Peter had? He set his mind on the things of man, and man wants glory through victory, not, eventually glo- not eventual glory as a fruit of suffering. And when the servant doesn't want such cross-bearing, He tries to convince his master there must be another way for the master to bring glory to himself and those who serve and follow him. But Jesus had taught plainly, it is necessary. There is no other way. The Son of Man must suffer and be rejected and be killed and then he will rise again. Friends, that's the gospel our God has always had in mind since Eden. The woman's seed will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will strike his heel. The Christ will win the victory, but he'll do so through suffering and death. Not only Jesus, but the entirety of the Old Testament, all the prophets, all those who awaited the Messiah, they all taught the theology of the cross and in so teaching, they were revealing the things of God from the mind of God and proclaiming those things to men. But sinful men have in mind not the things of God, but the things of men, and so the power struggle ensues. My disciples, it will happen my way. God forbid it, Lord, it will happen our way. No, it will happen my way. 
Whether that's the Christ in the Gospel you want to depend upon and follow or not, it will happen my way. And then to drive the point home to his disciples, the Master turns to all his would-be servants and followers and sort of implicitly lectures the Twelve by preaching to the crowds. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now the first phrase there, if anyone would come after me, that phrase in the Greek is the same as the last phrase, follow me. So that the emphasis is actually on all the stuff in the middle. Namely, what should we expect the following to look like? So we should really read Jesus' words this way. If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's what it means to follow. Now you see, Jesus is no longer talking about justification. Now he's talking about the Christian life. And yet if the Christian's justification is found in the theology of Christ's cross, then won't his sanctification also be formed by and informed by the theology of the cross? Jesus calls you to deny yourself. In other words, what that means is to realize that your personal desires are to serve and not be served by your God. And if your personal desires, even in Christian freedom, are to serve your God, and yet you know that the devil, the world, your sinful flesh, they all hate and despise your God, then will you not realize the power struggle within and discipline yourself to take up your burdens in this daily life and carry them as needed so that they do not separate you or distract you from your Christ? So that the daily life which is to serve your eternal hope in Christ does not now become the master which is served by and holds sway over your eternal hope in Christ. Jesus expounds on this in our text. He says, whoever would save his life, and here our text actually says it better, that life does not mean the essence of living and breathing, but it means one's soul one's identity, one's life. Whoever would save his soul will lose it, but whoever loses his soul for my sake and the Gospels will save it. And you know what he means by that. If your identity becomes so wrapped up in loving itself, idolizing itself, it will destroy itself. But if it lives in a manner that upholds its baptismal identity in Christ, such means eternal salvation. And now, in our text, Jesus doubles down. And he rhetorically asks, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? There's nothing here that implies that the forfeiting is intentional. So often it happens. The Christian assumes he's strong in the gospel. And so he prioritizes something else. And then suddenly his baptismal identity just sort of slips away. Out of sight, out of mind. Consider how Jesus says that it happens by focusing on and overemphasizing the gains of life in this world. Which so easily, those gains, so easily become our focus and our theology. If God loves me, all will be well. 
And if all is well, then God must love me. And therefore, we leave the word to chase after the gains. We leave the word to chase after the glorious. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In Christian freedom, you can, you have every right to, you can enjoy that, that vacation home. But is it worth it if it buys for your heart's and your time's commitment? You can benefit from the university life far from home. But of what benefit if during it your faith slips away? You can, you have every right in Christian freedom to benefit from a high-paying career, from a beautiful marriage, a wonderful household, enjoyable pastimes. All of those are gifts from God. But of what good if I give up the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ to cherish them rather than teach them to cherish and serve the centrality of the gospel. Finally, Jesus triples down in our text. What can man give in return for his soul? Can any of those joys of Christian freedom and daily bread buy eternal life? Can any of them redefine grace in the gospel so that you say, I have no need of Christ. I can be ashamed of his way of doing things because I have my own way to get to heaven. I have my own growth, my own greatness, my own grit. I need not grace. I need not God's riches at Christ's expense. The theology of the cross may not be very attractive. Jesus never said that it would be. It may not be the way that you and I and Peter would do things. But it is Christ's theology. For it was necessary for you and your salvation that the Son of Man suffer, be rejected, and be killed. But that theology of the cross this side of eternity has purchased for you and now freely given you the glory of the sacraments. The glory of the resurrection. The glory of everlasting life to the other side of eternity. So friends, pray constantly that the Holy Spirit would come work through word and sacrament to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. May the Holy Spirit fix your eyes and your hearts right here. For that same Son of Man will come again in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.